This morning's reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. We've begun a sermon series on the book of Acts that will take us all the way into the fall. So just sit back and buckle up and just enjoy the ride as we go through a book that tells the story of how the message of Jesus Christ spread and how the church began and then how it grew. The second chapter of Acts is one of the most important in the entire New Testament. It tells the story of the event of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and ignited the first community of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter preaches to the people and he interprets this this powerful, supernatural experience for the people, and we read that about 3,000 people responded to Peter's message, and they were baptized and became part of the church. And we often hear that part of the story, the story of Pentecost. But after this, what did they do? That's what's before us today. And I want to just break down particularly the verses 42 through 47 in Acts chapter 2, because it gives us a picture of those, that community of first believers and a very succinct and telling window into the church, the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. First, we learn they were a devoted church. They were devoted. And that word is a word that means obstinate persistence, an ongoing persistent activity. Uh, We are usually devoted to things that we love and people that we love. 
and it says the believers devoted themselves, and they did so to four specific things. Do you see them there? The first is the apostles' teaching. The apostles had seen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They witnessed everything surrounding him. They knew the story. They knew the facts. And they taught the community the story and the implications of all of that. The first believers fed themselves with the teaching because good teaching for them and for us keeps us straight about what we are and about what we are about as fellow followers of Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And you may be familiar, you may have heard the biblical Greek word for fellowship. The word is koinonia. And koinonia means more than just an occasional potluck. It means more than just the visiting after church in the gathering area. Koinonia was a strong word that, re that, that it refers to really sharing life together. It has a sense of intimacy, mutual acceptance of one another. It's doing life together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Does this refer to the Lord's Supper? Does this refer just to the meals that they would share with one another in their homes? Does it refer to both? Because the Lord's Supper was often done at the end of meals that people shared in the early Christian community. We aren't exactly sure, but it is a good bit that the Lord's Supper was a part of this because Jesus had told his disciples to do this, and we still do this today, don't we? And they devoted themselves to prayer. Literally, the phrase is to the prayers. There were three times of prayer held every day in the temple. There were also times that people prayed on their own. Prayer is it's basic to the Christian life. Not a luxury, not a side dish, not something for super Christians. It is how we breathe as Christians. It's how we live. Prayer. And these are the four things that Luke, who was the writer of Acts, notes that the first believers devoted themselves to with bulldog persistence. It's a picture of Christian devotion. First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, California, has a house for college students on the campus at the University of California, Berkeley, called the 242 House. The name comes from this verse in Acts. And now that you know this verse, you can probably guess what they try to do and how they try to live as an intentional community house. Well, it goes on to say, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Wonders and signs are throughout the story of Acts. There are healings. There are direct interventions of God. Here's something we read a little bit later in Acts. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That was a part of the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. 
I would love to see that. Huh? Do wonders and signs still happen today? Can they happen today? Some say that they were only for that time. But I believe the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can break into the natural order of this universe and still show mighty works that astound. Our scientific rational worldview, which is not bad, but it's kind of the way we live, often, it often places limitations on what is possible. And this morning we're not going to go into why. We maybe don't see more signs and wonders. I do know an openness and an expectation with faith opens the way for God to break in with wonders and signs. The mighty works of God, they're not for a religious show. That's not their purpose. But they are to witness to the power and the presence of God. Certainly God was making thing, amazing things happen for those first apostles. And it is always for the purpose of witnessing to God and who he is. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You get a remarkable picture of a people who lived with one another, sharing with one another, deeply self-giving in their life together. Later in Acts, we read this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Note how those first Christians lived. And notice how proclaiming the resurrection and God's grace was a part of that deep generosity in their lifestyle. Now, this is not about any particular economic system. This is not about socialism or anti-capitalism or any other system. What it is about is that being a Christian touches our stuff as well. It affirms that Christians are to be of wild generosity. We are to be anti-greed. We are to be self-sacrificing for the good of others. And we are to be a people of radical sharing. Remember that tax collector that Luke tells us about in his gospel, Zacchaeus? Remember Zacchaeus when he found Christ? He gave half of his possessions to the poor. And anything he cheated, he gave back and then some. And he knew that his salvation in Christ demanded a response with his wealth. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we have? What stuff do we have that we can share with others? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. First thing, it says that they did it daily. They met together daily. Second, the phrase continued to meet together literally means devoted themselves with one mind. And it's the same word as verse 42, that word devoted. With dogged persistence, they met together. 
sometimes in the temple courts because, you know, the early Christians were still Jewish. They didn't even know what a Christian actually was, yet they were still working that out. And they would go to the temple. Third, they shared meals. Great way to spend time together. And the word for sincere has that sense of, it has a sense of generosity, sincere hearts, generous hearts, and open-hearted hearts. They were real with one another. They're not trying to put on a show. They were sincere. And fourth, they praised God. Praise always turns us away from ourself, and it puts us, it puts our gaze on God, and it opens us towards God. And they were a God-centered people. And the result of all of this is that it gave them favor with the people. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Through all of this, people were coming to Christ. They didn't take credit for those who were joining them. It says the Lord was doing it. The Lord added to their numbers. But it was because of how the people lived that enabled the Lord and gave him a window to do that. What we find in Acts chapter 2 is a snapshot of that first Christian community, and what a vibrant one. But we have to be careful about idealizing them. There are people who say, you know, we have to go back and, and, and we have to be like this. We got to look like this. Uh, they say, this was the pure church. This was the problem-free church. If we did it like this, we wouldn't have our problems today. Well, about two chapters into Acts, two more chapters, and we're going to find the problems start. And you read the letters of the New Testament that, that follow from Acts, and you find out those churches had all the problems we still find today. And another reason we have to be careful about idealizing this is because, you know, there is a difference between first century Palestine and the way they lived and some of the dynamics and 21st century people in the United States of America. We don't have to be a carbon copy of Acts chapter 2, but we certainly need to let this shape how we do things as a church. And what we find is a people who live together and who are a community. A community. There's no individual Christianity. To be a disciple of Christ puts us in a community of faith with other believers. In Romans, Paul writes this, So in Christ, we who are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The response to Christ rising from the dead was not to all now go to our individual homes and, and everybody be by themselves. No, what we see is a devoted life of sharing together. The Christian life isn't a life of separation. It's not a life of keeping distance. It is belonging to one another. And in our church, through our worship, through our small groups, in our prayer circles, in our Bible studies, we share our lives in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the best things that is happening for your life right now, whether you know it or not, is the people sitting around you. Some of you came here to Utah for school. Some came from job, with job transfers. Some came because of family. And you left wonderful churches with great relationships. And you came here looking for the same. And you know the indispensable value of the body of Christ. 
You know, human beings, we're wired for love, and we are meant to be connected to other people, and not just on a superficial level. How much loneliness, and I would say loneliness might be one of the major issues in our world. How much loneliness could be conquered with strong community? And many emotional and psychological hurts are healed in loving and caring communities. I just, wonder, I just wonder sometimes how much of our depression might find some relief if we could find more of this praying, praising, generous, caring, self-giving Christian community. A koinonia that truly shares life in good and in bad. The writer Kathleen Norris, she, she shares and she spoke of when we experience really hard times in our lives, when it's all we can do to just breathe, she says, and knowing the importance of being in worship on Sunday and being with the family of faith who can keep faith for us and pull us along. But the family of faith is also a place where we share, we can share with others. Community requires doing life in a way that's more than just what's convenient for us. And without the community of faith, we don't, we don't have a sense that life is more than just about us if we don't have that community. And community is not built on the convenience of, well, we'll get together when we need it. Rather, Christian community is built on the conviction that I need it for the health of my faith. That I need people to walk with me on this journey of faith. That I need people to support me and I need others who I can support. You know, there's all kinds of reasons people are leaving churches today. We hear about them. But one of those reasons, and I'm just going to call it out. One of those reasons is that churches are also places where you have to look to the needs of others. Not just your own, sometimes before your own. And good Christian communities are places of love, generosity, self-sacrifice, and sometimes it requires giving more than it does receiving. There's a saying that comes from the Vietnamese people. In hell... People use chopsticks to eat, but they're so long, they can't use them, can't get the food to their mouth. In heaven, you get chopsticks and they're the same length, but people feed one another. I've known people who've left churches because they were in it for what they could get, not for what they could give. And when they didn't get what was good for them, they were no longer interested. They wanted to feed themselves, but not anyone else. And essential to being an Acts 2 community is asking, who can I love? Whose needs can I meet and do it in the name of Jesus? Here's the thing about this community that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this was not a dispensed collection of individual churchgoers. It was a community of faith that came to be because of the Holy Spirit. 
it operated in the power of God's Spirit. It's life of feeding themselves on the apostles' teaching. It's life of praying and sharing life together and doing mighty things in the name of the Lord. Their life of practicing deep generosity and meeting the needs of others were not accomplishments of extraordinary folk. But what they were were signs of the Spirit within a group of people who had encountered Jesus. They were united in their purpose and in their identity, which wasn't a particular project or issue, but was found in Christ Jesus first. You know, there's all kinds of communities. There are communities um, for uh, social events. There's communities for political agendas. There's communities surrounded, uh, surrounding games or hobbies or sports or civic issues. But the community of faith is centered around and gets its life from the Lord Jesus Christ. And those first believers gathered because Jesus had come alive. When we aim for Jesus, we become the church God wants us to become. When we aim for Jesus, we become the church that God wants us to become. There are many in this room who have known the blessings of the Christian community. You know the years of walking in faith with others. You know you've been nurtured by preaching and teaching in pulpit and classroom and in other places and other settings. You've been supported and you've been loved through life's hardships. And you have been in the homes of others sharing meals and praying together and sharing your lives. And you have loaned cars and you have opened your home and you have funded mission trips and you have paid bills and you have resourced someone and you've given thousands and thousands of dollars, sometimes over years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you've lost nothing as you've shared your resources for Christ. And you've met with people to study the scriptures and pray and share your life and you've grown together and you've hurt together and you have loved together and you have lived together. And you know the, the devotion of being with people who are about Jesus Christ. And you know, you know that the Christian life is done together. You know, Acts is about being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the title of this sermon series comes from. And often our witness isn't just individual. It's about what we look like together. I believe MOPC, I believe Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church has many signs of an Acts 2 church. I do. And we would be wise to keep this picture in front of us. Our churches, all churches, have a common witness. Acts 2.47, remember it said, and they had favor with all the people. In the message, it, it's translated like this. It reads like this. People in general liked what they saw. Some years back, a woman actually said that to me in this very room, in this very church. She and her husband had moved here from out of town. They were looking for a new church. They had come here for a few Sundays. I had seen them. I finally got a chance to greet them and introduce myself. And uh, they shared how they just moved here. They're looking for a church. And those were the exact words she said to me. And we like what we see. I spread my feathers like a peacock. I strutted around. I thought we were so good. They joined our church. And I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, 
after a couple of weeks, they were gone and we never saw them again. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And that's probably not a great story to tell at the end of a sermon like this, I know. <laughs> Nevertheless, I hope that people, what they see in our community, they like. I hope this for every church. I hope they see a people who are about Jesus Christ and who are influenced by the Holy Spirit and who speak of our faith and who live our faith together and who share in common meals and communion and practice hospitality and are generous and are appraising people who know how to praise the living God and that we do it together because it is our witness. It's our witness. Would you stand as we close in prayer? And I want to pray for us that that same Holy Spirit would be upon us as a community as we, as we live together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you reign from the right hand of the Father right now. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us a fresh filling so that we will be devoted to our growth, the practice of our faith. And so that we will be a people who witness to Jesus by the way we do this life of Jesus together. We stand open to receive your power, your blessing, your life. Lord, may Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church witness for your name so that all people will come to know you, to see you, to hear you, to experience you in us and how we live here in this room and outside of this place every day. We pray this to the glory of your name, Lord.